All right, peeps, on today's episode of the Kung Fu Genius, the genius will be discussing, well, the genius will be having an interview with Bruce Lee expert Steve Carriage. Lots of gems, no Dre, just me and Steve Carriage, so let's get to it. Every day, I practice martial arts. Well, Steve, thank you so much for coming here. It's awesome to see you. Oh, thanks for having us. It's a pleasure. Yeah, so we, I've wanted to arrange this for quite a while, but uh, it's just been difficult with the timing. But, you know, a lot of people like uh, Bruce Lee-related interviews, and this is definitely one of the best ones I could have lined up. So, again, thank you so much for being here. Um, before we get started, can you, for the three people who are listening to this who don't know who you are, can you let them know a little bit about, like, the books that you've written about Bruce Lee and your connection to Bruce Lee real quick? Well, I started back in 1973 when it, when it exploded for everyone, I, su I suppose, you know, and um, because of that, did karate and uh, went all through my karate grades and uh, went on to more of a full contact background with the kickboxing and so forth. But the Bruce Lee element has always stayed with me. And I think, like everyone, when you first, when we first, as kids, really, we, we discovered Bruce Lee, it was just the image. Right. Yeah, you know, the wow factor, you know, and uh, there was, and I think what a lot of people these days don't, yeah, you know, the young younger generation probably don't realise, is there's so many diverse and wonderful things these days, and things that you they're at your fingertips. You know, you've only got to tap into YouTube and you can get any sort of clip of film and whatever. Back then, you had nothing. You know, you had the newspaper stands, you had maybe a film review show on the TV or whatever, and in the UK. As Mikey would know, um, well, he's not as old as me, but you couldn't you couldn't see a Bruce Lee film unless he was eighteen. Right. So there was X certificate, which is quite really ridiculous, really. But and we used to do everything to try and get in the back door of the cinema, you know, with a coat hanger trying to open the, you know, sneaking <laughs> in, getting chucked out, and putting something in our shoes to make us taller with an overcoat and <laughs> real, real, real sort of Monty Python types. <laughs> and um, we didn't very rarely did we succeed, you know. And it wasn't it wasn't until around about seven, late or seventy five, I think it was nineteen seventy five. My dad he took me to um, Enter the Dragon was showing, and I think it was showing with King Boxer, Five Things of Death, yeah, sure. yeah. And uh, you know we got to this cinema. I remember it clear now as then, and. Uh, my dad was saying to the manager, like, let him in, let him in, let him in. And his manager said, we can't, you know, he's not old enough. And my dad being a bit persuasive, he's like, well, listen, you're going to let him in, you're going to let him in. <laughs> Eventually, he backed down a bit. He said, okay, well, you know, if you, if you get anything happens, you know, it's not my responsibility. He was a bit worried, you know. So anyway, we got in, and that's my first sort of uh, uh, seeing the first film uh, was Enter the Dragon in 1975. Right. Um, but I, I, I actually, I was a fan from late 73, and the reason I always remember that is because that's when I started karate, and it was October on my birthday in 73, and um, you know, my mum had bought me a magazine, and it had Bruce Lee on the cover, and you know, and uh, I've been hooked ever since, but the thing, the funny thing is, as the years have evolved, have gone over, you tend to find that it's not just about the image, you know, it's multi-layered with Bruce Lee, isn't it, you know, and... Right. Where I suppose a lot of first-generation fans, as such, as you call them, you know, they may have, by the mid to late 70s, have gone to something else. I didn't. I stuck with it. And uh, I, wouldn't say, I wouldn't say it's an obsession, but I suppose it is to some 
Um, is, is it true that those, uh, that Bruce Lee's films, I mean, martial art films in general, but let's talk about Bruce Lee movies, were highly edited in the UK releases. I heard something about Way of the Dragon couldn't have that yeah. scene where Bruce gave Chuck like the multiple kicks. Was the Enter well, the Dragon that you saw on screen, was that edited from the, the, the regular version, if you recall? Yeah, no, Enter the Dragon was complete, except you never had the scene where he kicks a bottle out of Bob Wall's hand, you know? That was cut out. Weird. Yeah. Interesting, interesting. That was cut out. Um, it was like a like meant, you know, years later when he went onto video and DVD, it was reinstated. But the the, the worst cult or the worst um, victim, if you like, is Way of the Dragon or Return of the Dragon, you know. And uh, they cut the double nunchucker scene out completely. Wow, you know, what a robbery! <laughs> you, see him, you, see, yo, you see him going into the alleyway and uh, you know, with his hands up, you know, put your hands down, or you know, and then he does his few things with the staff, and then all of a sudden you see him standing there with one. One nunchuck like this, you know, and he does the one whack when the bloke hits himself, and that was it. That's all you see, and um, that was like the, the 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 holy grail for us at the time. Sure. That and obviously came of death, which no one knew enough about them. But it was where the dragon was the one. Even I mean, Fist of Fury later on was, if I remember, if I remember correctly, that was they took some of the nunchuckers out of that. But it was really where the dragon because that was uh, yeah, that was the last to be released. Wow. It has to be released in the, in the UK because you had the first, actually, the first Bruce Lee film to be released in the UK uh, was Fist of Fury. And that was, that, that actually was, that, that, sh, that was, um, that was screened at the Rialto in Leicester Square. And okay. that was the night before Bruce died. Wow. Incredible. Wow. In fact, with the time difference, it's probably around about the time he did die. Incredible. You know, and, um, but I mean, I don't remember that because I didn't, didn't know who Bruce Lee was then. It wasn't until about, September, October, that it all came about with the news of the world, newspapers and articles, and it, right. and then David Carradine uh, Kung Fu series came on the on the TV, and it just you know went from there really. Right. You know. Now you've written a few books about Bruce Lee, and I have to say, the books that you've written about Bruce Lee go into tremendous detail behind the scenes stories, particularly uh, Big Boss and uh, Fists of Fury. And it's the kind of stuff where, you know, you talk to people who are on the set, like little, like lesser known people that give these really insightful stories and background and dates. It's the exact kind of book that geeks like me really um, cherish. Uh, so you've written, how many books have you written about Bruce Lee at this point? Uh, I've sort of lost... <laughs> With books and magazines, is I've sort of lost count, really. I've never really counted them up. I okay. mean, main, main books, I mean, I've, I've done the, originally I've done the first book I've done, the, the, the actual hardback book, was Legends of the Dragon, which was covering Way of the Dragon, which I'm presently redoing, um, which I wanted to try and get for early next year, but I think it might be a bit later than that now. Okay. With, with the new fanzine and bits and pieces we're doing. Uh, so I need to sort of go into more detail, but when I did that book... Um, I mean, I went to Hong Kong, uh, you know, and sort of uh, done some research. And I met Betty, Betty Ting Pai and and everything else. <laughs> sure, sure. Um, yeah, we, 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 you know, I, I sort of put me heart and soul into that at the time. Right. That was my first real effort for of a book. Right. You know, I look back in there and I'm, I'm my own worst critic. You know, I'll look at it and go, oh, I should have did this, should have done that. And when that book first came out, I actually originally planned to do it in three volumes, because of the amount of work in that timeline, you know. Right. 
we only managed to get two volumes out and the the publisher at the time or the, the person he was only a small time uh, publisher he he just kept hanging back hanging back on the third volume so I just I just uh, tore up my contract with him and I forgot all about it it wasn't until a few years later I bought out like a special edition all in one volume Legends of the Dragon but when when we moved I mean, I've done loads of magazines and you know whether it's poster magazines and scrapbook type type stuff you know but I, I do enjoy the research to, mm. to me um, I've got quite a good photographic memory so I'll see bits and bobs and I, it will stick in there and like one of the one of the funny things were was years ago you know the pictures of Bruce uh, he's, he's out at the back it looks like a hotel at the back and he's doing he's got a big boss uh, outfit and he's doing the kicks and punches and mm-hmm. got the lampposts behind him and you think We've always wondered where that was. Was that in Pak Chong or somewhere in Thailand? You know, no one really knew. And um, I tried everything to try and find out where that was. I mean, this is before I'd done the Man of Superstar, by the way. Right. This is just, like, I'll sit there and I'll go through things and get me a bit, almost like an Asperger's obsession, you know. Yeah, no, I get that. <laughs> and, <laughs> and it was one, I was looking for this old film magazine, a Chinese film magazine. I can't remember which one, it might be an international screen or one of them old, and I'm just looking through it one day, and I'm flicking the pages, and all of a sudden, like, the photographic memory which I'm, I'm blessed with, I mean, bing, this photograph, and it wasn't nothing to do with Bruce Lee, it was the Wild Earth Studios. And of all silly things, I recognise the lampposts. Wow. That's how, that's how anal I am at times. <laughs> I've gone, oh, oh, I know that. Like, bang. You know, so now, I, oh, that's, so then I looked into the background of the Wild Earth Studio, and because you know, obviously when they did the Big Boss, they didn't they didn't have the Golden Harvest Studios. You know right. that was that, that came afterwards. Yes. So you know they they filmed in in obviously Thailand, and then they hire a different studio space for for what what else you know there's to do. So while their studios at the time was it's like, like most things in Hong Kong. You know, when you've been in Hong Kong, more times than probably anyone. You right. know. And, <laughs> You, you know, it's Hong Kong now is is just a completely different totally. animal to what it was back then. You know. Yeah. So if you go to the wider studios is now, it's just an apartment block and blah blah blah. You know. Right. Yes. Yeah. Everything wider, in Hong Kong is either an apartment now. Anything from that time is either an apartment or a mall. Like yeah. none of the original yeah. stuff is around uh-huh. anymore. Well, do you know, I, I see a TV show once about antiques, and it was in Hong Kong. It really put things into perspective about the Hong Kong frame of mind or the or the, the whatever you, you know and he was going through his antique shop somewhere in hong kong and he had a, like a chinese lady with him taking him like guiding him around these different shops and he's going through these di- different shops and he's, he's picking up these vases and i'm going she's going oh that's a ming dynasty but he's going what and these are just in a back street shop these are like a thousand years old or something you know and she went what you got to understand about hong kong people they only care about today. They don't care about yesterday. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I thought, well, that, that says it all really. You know, like you've got Bruce Lee who's like the, who basically put Hong Kong on the map. And um, let's face it, you know, Bruce Lee is the reason we're here. Right. Whatever martial artist when you do it these days, UFC wouldn't probably be there if it wasn't for Bruce Lee sure. because it's the interest that it, it created in, you know, in, in the whole, whole genre, you know. So, yeah, so I, but going back to the research, to me, I, I love the research because I look at a photograph and it's a bit like a CSI investigation. 
and you try and you know you try and you can't always do this, but you try and what's the expression? Triangulate. Yes. Like a murder investigation, you're trying to think, well, that, 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 you know, and you can't always do that, but you can do it sometimes or near enough, you know. So, I mean, you've probably done this. We, I've interviewed quite a lot of people over the years that was it, it were obviously related to Bruce Lee or they knew him as a friend or whatever, or was on the film set, or and sometimes their dates are completely arse upwards, and you think, no, he's wrong, he's wrong, you know. But let's be, let's be honest, if someone said to you or said to me, Oh, when he was five, he went on holiday to so-and-so. You go, what year was that? You go, uh, I think he probably get it wrong. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So, you know, <laughs> funny enough, I was watching an interview with Paul McCartney a little while ago, and um, someone had asked him a question. I forget what the question was now. And he said, you know what? I think they asked him, but they asked him when he recorded yesterday, I think it was, or something like that. He said, oh, you have to ask one of my fans. He said, I'm not really good with the <laughs> Yeah, the, absolutely. You know, we, we collect these things because we're fans. Yeah. But I've had the same. Yeah. I, I gave um, Angela Mao a poster mm. once that I had gotten in Hong Kong from one of her films. And she was like, uh, wow, I have not seen this poster since I made this movie in uh, 1979. And I'm like, you made the movie in 77. She's like, no, I made it in 79. I'm like, Okay. <laughs> At some yeah, point, you're, you're, I'm not going to argue with her, right? <laughs> no, no, it's difficult, isn't it? You know, I, I, yeah. I've done a book a little while ago with Reg Smith. Okay. Reg, I mean, he's a great, a great guy, Reg. You know, he's a, he's a, he's a Taekwondo legend, really. You know, he's this, if you look in his background. Okay. And he was, he was the guy who, um, when Bruce did the Marlowe tour in 69, October 69, you know, he toured around, I don't know if you've seen, it's in the Mandarin Superstar, actually, I don't know mm-hmm. like, and uh, I sort of contacted Bridge, and at first he was a little bit, stand, not say standoffish, but I could understand why, because he, you know, you must have loads of people contact you because you've met Bruce Lee or whatever, right. and, you know, a lot of people can be a right pain in the backside, as I can imagine, you know, and not being obvious, it is, it's, and that's what happens life, isn't it, you know, and, uh, Anyway, I got to talking to him, and I said I'm doing this book, and and uh, he sort of, sort of tentatively agreed at first. Okay, yeah, I'll help. I said, well, these folks, you know, uh, this was October 1969. He went, no, no, it's not. It was 1970. I said, and I thought I can't contradict him. I can't. I knew it was 69 because I had the MGM memos. Right. <laughs> so, so I sort of said to Fred, I got these memos. He went, he went, oh, you're right, it's 69. I you know. But I'll be the same. I'll be exactly the same if someone else. Yeah, if it's about our own stuff, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, but Reg, what great, what a great person, you know. Really, really. And that that book we did with Reg, I mean, those photographs. Uh, I managed to in the end, I end up end up buying the negatives off of him, you know. But wow. yeah, it's it's like forty odd negatives, you know, on the on the TV show, which I tried to locate. I tried. I've done everything trying to see if that footage still exists, but a lot of those those old TV shows were filmed live or, yeah. or recorded, or not even recorded actually, just broadcast live or or the tapes were wiped or whatever, you know. But anyway, right. but yeah, you know, with dates and whatever, sometimes I had the same thing with Chaplin Chang years ago, you know, and a few different people that have got the dates wrong. Yeah. Which is, as I said again, you know, I would be exactly the same in that position. Sure, sure. That's oh. Nana Come along to go, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Kung Fu Genius listeners, if you're looking for an easy way to support this podcast, 
please consider joining the Kung Fu Genius Patreon. You can support for as little as $5 a month and get access to episodes a few days early. Higher levels of support get additional goodies, exclusive content, and even your name in the description. The baller level of support will give you the opportunity to be a Dre for a day and give me a rest from this guy over here. A link for the Kung Fu Genius Patreon page is in the description below. You can also support us by subscribing to the Kung Fu Genius on YouTube, liking this video, and sharing it on your social media platforms. When you subscribe on YouTube, don't forget to hit that bell for notifications so you will know as soon as a new episode or a premiere is available for you to watch. For those of us who listen to us on audio, it's a huge help if you don't just rate the podcast, but also write a review wherever you listen to the Kung Fu Genius, such as Apple or Google Podcasts. I really appreciate it. And now back to me. I was looking at your book, uh, Intercepting Fists, and you know, you have, yeah. like all your books, you have all these great photos, behind the scenes stuff, and we've seen so many Bruce Lee photos, but it just seems that he just was so prolifically photographed compared to so many oh. other people at that time. Like, the, yeah, I sometimes feel like I've seen every single Bruce Lee photo there that possibly could have been. And some, I'll crack open your book or every once in a while, even just be on Instagram. Like, I've never seen this photo before. Um, what I like about uh, Intercepting Fists, like all your other books, is you always have these great little stories from people who were on the set. And you had uh, Chan Kwok Hong, who was like a makeup artist on, on yeah, the set yeah, there, who yeah. told some interesting uh, stories. And um, one story that I thought was interesting, and this is going to kind of segue into a question that I get all the time. People writing questions all the time. Um, on the uh, in the comments, and there's just certain things that I have. You know, I'm I'm better with Bruce Lee's martial arts stuff than all of his movie yeah. stuff. But um, these films were obviously shot without sound back then. In fact, there was a common practice in Hong Kong to shoot without sound until even until the early '90s. They would basically just dub everything afterwards in a studio. And um, what I thought was funny is that uh, this Chan Kwok Hong to told this story that in the middle of shooting, Lo Wei just basically shouts with excitement while they're shooting uh, yeah, a scene. Yeah. And everyone, yeah. including Bruce Lee, thought he had you know, said cut or wanted them to stop. But in reality, he was listening to the radio and there was like some horse racing and I guess his horse was winning or yeah. losing or whatever. And the, the idea that a director would just suddenly shout because of, uh, of some kind of gambling thing, you know, is, is kind of absurd for Westerners, but because these things weren't, were shot without sound, I can imagine that the sets were kind of um, quite noisy. Now, this kind of leads yeah. me into this question that I always get, which is the question of Bruce Lee's battle cries in those films. You know, uh, these kind of iconic cat-like screams or whatever, whatever you want to call them. And obviously, these films were, were dubbed uh, mainly into Mandarin for international distribution. So it wouldn't have been Bruce Lee's voice anyway, even on the original one, because he didn't speak Mandarin. Um, <clears throat> so if he didn't record the sounds, uh, how did they come up with that? Was that something he wanted them to do when they dubbed it? Like, how, what is the whole genesis of that? Because we don't really hear that too much in, say... Green Hornet, there's one or two kind of quick yells he has here and again, but this kind of very iconic, you know, we all know the sounds. Like, do, what, do you know anything about the history of that? Because I, I get that question all the time, and being that it wasn't originally his voice, I don't really know how to answer that. Well, the, the whole, whole, as you said, the whole uh, Mandarin film, so, I mean, I had this argument with a few people when I bought the Mandarin Superstar. Oh, by the way, before I go any further, I've got to give a good shout out to Darren Chua who helped me do these books. Shout Darren out Griffin to Darren Chua. 
Aaron Tripp from Singapore, listen, the man is, you know, he's, he's an encyclopedia of knowledge. Uh, and the good thing with Darren is he's that side of the world. So he's got access to a great archive of newspaper and so forth, you know? Sure. So you know, Darren helped me a lot with these books. And we, so it's, it was a joint effort with that. But yeah, going back, I, I had quite a few, um, several arguments, you know, um, when I say arguments, I don't mean shouting arguments, but quite heated arguments with a couple of people. Why are you calling it Mandarin Superstar? He wasn't even Mandarin, he was Cantonese, blah, 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 you know. No, it, the films were made in Mandarin. Yeah, but he was Cantonese, you know, I had this argument back and forward. Back. Right. And what I was trying to explain to him, I mean, there, there was a newspaper article back then called the Man, it said something about Mandarin Superstar, it mentioned Bruce, yeah, Bruce, during Bruce's lifetime. But that wasn't the real reason, you know. I was trying to explain to him that the films were made originally back in the 60s, a lot of the Chinese movies or Hong Kong movies were in Cantonese. Some of Bruce's Bruce's childhood movies were actually Bruce's real voice, right? Because he's you know, but and those probably filmed one two o'clock in the morning, you know. They, they used to do it late. Plus, back in those days, there wasn't so much congestion and air traffic and so forth, you know. Um, but going forward, I mean, as they went into the sixties, Shaw Brothers were the ones that really led the led the path because, you know, the Mandarin language, as you, you as you well know, is is more of a upmarket type of a, you know, it's Taiwanese, the Taiwanese market and uh, Singapore uh, and I wouldn't say so much mainland China because I think that was pretty much closed off. But most of the cinema chains were in those regions. So that's where they was making their money from. Right. So if Shaw, I mean, Shaw's had their own string of cinemas anyway. When Golden Harvest come on board, I don't know if you know much about the history of Golden Harvest. You know, Raymond Chow was part of the Shaw yes. studio and Yang Ting and so forth. And when they formed Golden Harvest, they had nothing really. They had no studio. They had nothing, you know. They was working out of an office in Tsung Ying building. Um, they had connections, or he had connections, obviously prior connections, because he, he was part of the management of Shaw's. So he knew the fella in Singapore. Um, the name escapes me at the moment. But he had the cafe film mm-hmm. uh, organisation. Right, the cafe studios, yeah. Yeah, but they had their chain of cinemas in Singapore mainly. So, you know, they're making, which also goes on to some of the, we, we can talk about after if you want, about the, the censorship, you know, in that region of the world because of the, Singapore got quite heavy on the censorship at one point. Right. Um, so they had to be careful they didn't lose their distribution because of violence, you know. Right. But the Mandarin, so the Mandarin language, as I say, it was, wasn't Bruce's voice. Um, I've actually, you have to excuse my, my memory with Chinese names sometimes, apart from the major ones, is not very good. That's okay. So I, I have to look at my own books to find out, you know. Uh, the, the fella that dubbed Bruce, he was a Shaw actor. Okay. And, and Bruce had actually heard him in, uh, what's the movie? He'd heard his voice and said, that's the voice, that's the voice I want. Because when, when they did The Big Boss, they did, I mean, they did someone else done his voice, I think, at first, and Bruce wasn't happy about it. He wanted he wanted more of a macho type of a voice, you know, right. so this fella took over. Uh, there's actually photographs from him in the studio when they're dubbing Way of the Dragon. He's got the vest on, Bruce, and he's standing his arm around the fella. Okay. Um, yeah, I don't yeah. know the name either. I'll have to look it up. I'll have to look in your book to find it. <laughs> yeah, I'll have to dig it out. But, um, I'll dig out for him too, but it, yeah, he, he, he so that the, so the voice wise obviously wasn't Bruce. Apart from you, you know the 
certain parts of Fist of Fury, they use Bruce's voice, you know, for, for Bob Baker's voice. Oh, yes, 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 right. Correct. Let me take care of him. You know, that's, that's Bruce's voice. Yeah. You know? Also, Way of the Dragon, Bruce uh, the, had a couple spots in there, yeah. Exactly, yeah, yeah. But the war cries, I mean, when you, when you look back on, because I've often wondered that, I've never really quite got to the bottom of it, um, to be honest with you. But when you look back on the Green Hornet, every now and then you hear a bit of a screech. Right. On the Green Hornet, you know. Um, a little bit in Marlowe, I remember rightly, when he's on the rooftop, you know, he sort of jumps up. There's, but maybe they they tended to sort of in the, in the Hollywood days. Maybe they tended to sort of, sort of subdue it a little bit, you know, sure. didn't make it too. But if you look at the history of Chinese cinema, it's all jumping through rooftops and jumping over ten foot walls, and you know, it's very dramatic, right. peaking opera type of, you know. So I think that was Bruce. It's just way of, of developing his own signature. So he he amplified that more, or amplified that more in in those movies. On purpose, but yeah, certainly, certainly is Warcraft. I mean, some of the some of the dub versions, I think it's actually Way of the Dragon. Some of the, I think in the US version, if I remember right, I might be wrong on this. I think the original US version, I don't think you had Bruce's Warcraft, did you? I don't remember UK? because I have not watched the dub English version of. I guess it would have been called Return of the Dragon back then. I haven't watched that since the nineties. The moment I got. Uh, my first copy of Way of the Dragon on DVD with Cantonese, even though it's not Bruce's Cantonese voice, and I, I never turned back. I have a good no. friend, Hector Martinez. He knows all the English lines for all of those films, and he'll <laughs> recite them to me, almost waiting for me to clap back. But it's like, I know it in Cantonese, man. I don't know it in English. I, I, I haven't seen it in so long, so I, I don't really remember uh, what the Return of the Dragon was like in terms of his war cries. I think that was one of the problems as well. When it's dubbed into English, the meaning's lost. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I remember as a child being confused, especially in Way of the Dragon, because he would always go, tell him, and then he would say something. And I was always yeah. like, why doesn't he just tell him? He's right there. Until yeah, you see yeah. it in Chinese and realize they don't speak the same language. And that was all part of the, that was all part of the comedy of, of that, which is definitely lost when it's dubbed in English. Well, when, he was, when he was doing the script for Way of the Dragon, he'd done it partly in English, partly in Chinese, right. mostly English. But it's certain words he couldn't, he couldn't express in English, so he had to do it in the Chinese, you know. So, uh, and my wife's the same, entire, certain words entire. You know, so what's that mean? She goes, um, I can't explain. Well, I did the, I don't know if you, did you see, did you get a copy of the, of the, uh, uh, Pal pack interview I did, the Blu-ray? Uh, no. I'll get a copy, I'll get a copy to you. Okay, great. Show. And that's the stuntman on the, on the big boss. Who we got to know quite well, and um, I'll talk about it in a minute if you want. That's quite interesting, actually. Um, but when I did the dubbing on that, oh, dubbing, so I'm talking about. When I did the subtitles on there, I got my wife sitting there, and, I said, and she's like, oh. <laughs> "How long is this going to last?" Oh, about three weeks. You know? so, <laughs> going through it, and he says something in Thai, and I'm, I can understand some. Obviously, I've been in Thailand a long time, so I can. If she's having a conversation with one of her family or her friends. Sometimes I can get the gist of what they're talking about, but I can't follow it. You know, right, I'm a typical, sure. typical lazy Englishman, you know, it's like English is the language of the world, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Mikey's laughing yeah. about that. <laughs> we are, we're, we're, we're terrible, you know, because it's just the way we are. But I should learn. But So he's, he's saying certain things in time, I'm saying to my, to my wife, what's that? And she's going, um, and I think, so, I t- you must have heard it, you know, so I can't explain in English. 
Right. And she'll say something in a way, then I understand it, and I had to sort of interpret that. It's so difficult, you know. I didn't want to get the situation like we're talking about where they're dubbing Bruce's movies. Yeah. They're saying something completely different to what he's trying to put across. Right, you know? right. Uh, yeah, so, yeah. Yeah, but it's, it's interesting. When you look at that, the old Chinese film industry you know, back in them days, you know, yeah, it's the Mandarin. Because uh, when I was a kid, we used to go to Chinatown back in the 70s. We'd be the only sort of English kids in this basement cinema in Chinatown, you know, all these Chinese looking at us. Doing it, you, know, yeah, like, <laughs> you know, and this was obviously after Bruce Lee, but it was 74 onwards, if you like, you know, so. And then as the 70s crept up towards the end of the 70s, the Jackie Chan films started coming or mid onwards. So we, we saw Jackie Chan in the Chinese cinema before it come out, really, sure. in, in the Western world. And we'd all be sitting there, and I couldn't figure out at one point. I thought, why are, they're talking in Chinese. Why have they got Chinese subtitles? <laughs> Must be for the me, hearing impaired. <laughs> <laughs> right. Oh, well, maybe it's for the deaf Chinese. Right. You know, nope. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so yeah, it's just funny. Yeah, yeah, that 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 is really interesting. How how I remember too. Uh, I had the first. I had that same issue watching when I first started watching Chinese films on VHS, where I had the subtitles burned into them, and I was always oh. like, "Why are there Chinese subtitles on a Chinese film?" Not realizing, yeah, obviously for whether it's in Mandarin, it's for Cantonese speakers or vice versa. You know that that's kind of an odd thing for us. You know. Uh, because especially when we're younger, we think it's all just Chinese. Why? Why? why what yeah. is the difference here? Um, I had a just, yeah. So the strange thing is, I mean, you, you'd know this. Most Chinese these days can't read Chinese, can they? No, especially modern Hong Kong Chinese kids. They they write nothing but slang, and they don't know formal Chinese anymore. Yeah, yeah, it's unfortunate. I had a, I had a question for you. Um, uh, so obviously you have these amazing photos uh, in, in your books, like the behind the scenes stuff, the um, publicity stills, you know, photos that we've seen before, photos that are from photo shoots we've seen before, but maybe we didn't see those particular photos. How, how, do, yeah. you, how do you generally get a hold of those photos? I mean, do, is it private collectors? Do you have to go to the studios? Like, is, is it a huge effort? Is there one person who has the keys to all of these? Like, how, how like, wh where, where do most of those photos, let's say in a book like um, uh, Mandarin Superstar, like, where, where is, is there one main source that has most of that, or are you just really collecting that from everywhere? Collecting from everywhere, mm. really. Wow. Um, I've done a lot of work, you know, David Tappan, you know, so I mean, David Tappan done a lot of work over the years. David has a uh, quite a huge collection of photographs. Uh, I've got quite a huge, I mean, we've probably got around about 30,000 photographs, literally. Wow. You know, um, so it's from different sources over the years. So I, I, I do get asked that question quite a bit, and I've had photographs that have come from people like Reg Smith, for example, you know, in recent years. I've had photographs that come from people in Hong Kong. Uh, it's, it's such a... When you've been collecting for so many years, it, you just tend to accumulate. Sure. What, what I want to know is, uh, when Bruce Lee was on the set of Enter the Dragon, there are a number of photos of him carrying a big camera. I want to know where are those photos that Bruce Lee took. I want to know where those I've, photos are. I've often wondered that. Shannon or Linda's got those, I suppose. You know, yeah, but, interesting. Yeah, you know, Bruce, Bruce was apparently getting into photography, and uh, at that time bought a camera. Chan Yuk, you know, the, the one that everyone 
if, you know, everyone seemed to go, Chanyuk this, Chanyuk that, you know, and Chanyuk seemed to be like the in vogue name, you know. Right. But there, was, there were several photographers that, that were on the set, you know, and Chanyuk was the main one I think that Bruce really took took to. I think Bruce actually paid for his, bought him camera, you know, paid for his cameras mm. as well. Um, there, yeah. There's a photo of um, Feng Ai, who was uh, the Chinese actor who played the Japanese instructor in Fists of Fury, the, the Gunjung, the head of the school there with the thick glasses. And interesting thing, uh, which I found out in your book, I didn't know that, is although he's a Chinese actor, he's playing Japanese, but in real life he had practiced judo. Um, yeah. uh, I guess I would, I suppose, in Hong Kong. And he had practiced with... Roy Chiao, who played the monk in Enter the Dragon, was also Senzo Tanaka in Bloodsport. And you have a photo in the book of Feng Ai and Roy Chiao doing judo with each other. I'm wondering, how did you, where did you get that photo? Darren Chua. Oh. Darren Chua, he sourced that out of an old magazine or an old newspaper from years back, you know, and um, yeah, so I couldn't have, I couldn't have found it. I can't read Chinese. Right. Well, Darren, you know, and he'll look back on these on these archives, and uh, he'll find these little treasures, you know. And the good thing with with someone like Darren is, now I'm a bit nuts, you know. I'll, I'll look at something. I won't. I'm like a dog with a bone. I won't put things down. I'm right. on it and on it and on it. And Darren's a bit like that, you know. And um, so he, I'm looking for that missing piece of that jigsaw puzzle. Yes. Also, I'm bang. He comes up. Oh yeah. Oh, you know, we got that. We got that. You know, and. Um, but the interesting thing with with uh, he he actually went to Japan uh, from from Ai. No, sorry, you pronounce it better. That's okay. He went to Japan. Um, he was working in Japan, I think it was, but he was getting a little bit out of condition. So talking to some of his Japanese uh, workers, they said you should take up something, you know, a bit of bit of exercise. And he actually he actually. Uh, Went to a judo class. Okay. It was Jigoro Kano that no was there. No kidding. OG. Yeah. So, and Bruce, which, do you know, I had this conversation with John Little actually uh, the other week. Me and John was talking about it. Because everyone talks about Fred Sato teaching Bruce judo. Yes, and the which, Seattle Times. Yeah. Yeah, which he did, obviously. But Bruce, <clears> what people didn't realize, Bruce already dabbled with judo. With, right. In the, yeah, in, in, in Hong Kong at the YMCA. Yes. Bruce used to go there for English lessons, apparently, you know, right. and see the class. And according to, to Fung, he had a photograph somewhere on his, in his apartment. I think he lived in, I think he moved to New York back in, uh, after that, somewhere in the, in the States. And he, in the, the, the article, I don't think I put that in the, in the book, actually. In the article, he actually says, I've got a photograph of me and young, a young Bruce Lee at the YMCA. I'm teaching him. I'd love to see that photograph. No kidding. Wow. That's incredible. It shows you what's out there, doesn't it? Really, you know, the, you know, whether we'll ever see it, whether it's got. When you think these people, they're, they're most of them, they're passed away, and you know, you, it's like me. I, I'll have all this Bruce Lee material. If my kids, for example, are not into Bruce Lee, you know, I'll, I'll get run over by a bus tomorrow. What happens to them photographs? You know, do they? Oh, from in, in the dustbin. You know, <laughs> I'm not saying they would do that, but do you know where I'm coming from? You yeah, know, absolutely. Some, these things get lost, and that's it's so much material got lost over the years that, you know, to me, you know, doing the, these books, one of the hardest part of any sort of research is finding people that were eyewitnesses, you know, because, you know, um, you, I hate to use the expression Chinese whispers, but that's that's basically it, isn't it? You yeah. know, someone tells that person, and by the end of it, it's a completely different story. So. Right. 
but these people, you know, so we, our godsend really, so with Darren again, and David as well, because we in the States, well, I'm talking about Darren as far as Asia, uh, and David in the States, these people, luckily a lot of people left memoirs or notes or, or they was interviewed by some obscure magazine back in the day, you know, and sometimes you can really discover things and little things that some people would look at and go, oh, that's not really interesting. But for the likes of, of us, you know, we'd have an orgasm over it. Right, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. It's, it's like um, when I was doing the research for uh, Part of Man and Superstar, I was covering the part where he went to Switzerland when, when he trained Roman Polanski. Right. Isn't that where he got, did he really get the yellow track suit over there? Is that story true? I heard that he found it over there while he was in Switzerland at a gift shop. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't think so. Because yeah, then yeah. there would be some other Europeans running around in the 70s that had that track suit. He's the only one I ever saw with that track suit. <laughs> yeah, the, the interesting thing about that track, the Game of Death track suit, you mean, yeah? Yes. The interesting thing, according to Andre Morgan, is that originally it was going to be black. But it, it, looked, it made him look too slim and too... It didn't stick out enough, you know. Interesting. But, you know, that, yeah. But no, when he went to Switzerland... Um, I actually, uh, I was looking through one of his letters. You've probably seen this where it says, or no, it's actually it's a newspaper article where it says uh, something about uh, Bruce Lee is teaching, has been offered to somebody thousand dollars to teach a, a Greek tycoon. Okay. Or something. I've always wondered what that was. Well, I found out who he was, and I actually, I actually gave him a call. No kidding. It wasn't Onassis, was it? <laughs> no. no. His name, I pronounced this right, was Taki Theodokos. Populous or something like that. Sounds Greek. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I actually found, do you know what, first thing everyone does these days, right, research. You Google, oh, let's see if he's on Facebook. Yes. You never know. Right. So I found that name on Facebook. So I contacted him. I thought, it must be his father. Or anyway, it was his father. Right. And he said, he come back to me and he said to me, give him a call. He still lives in Switzerland. No kidding. I thought, oh, it's got to be the same one. Yeah, got... So anyway, I've done some more research. It was the same man. And he was the one, he was friends with Roman Polanski uh, uh, in, in Gestad in Switzerland. Right. Yeah? And he did karate. And uh, he was always, uh, uh, Roman Polanski apparently at the time was always taking the mickey out of him, you know, like, Walking past him, and going wah wah, you know. And this is what Tuggy told me on the phone. He said, "Like he says, forever like the Joker." He said, "Like oh, practice, 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 you know." He's in, in, in he walked by and go wah, you know, all the time, you know, because he wasn't a martial art. I know he done a bit with Bruce, but he wasn't, in the, you know. He said one day, he said he, he, he annoyed me a little bit. And he did it again. I went boom, and so I caught him in the mouth, I caught him in the nose. He went oh, this is what the story is telling me. So he's punched Roman Blansky in the face. Which I think a lot of people these days would like to do, apparently. But anyway. <laughs> so, uh, you can edit that bit out as well. No, that's okay. We'll leave that. <laughs> That'll win you points, um, trust me. <laughs> so, he's, so he's caught him, and, and then, in, I'm guessing in a jokey way, Polanski's looked at him, put a bit of a thing on, gone, that's it, I'm going to get you, so I'm going to get my friend Bruce Lee to come over here. He's coming over here soon, I'm going to get to sort you out. That's you know, funny. His like little his little pet martial arts instructor does solve yeah, this problem. So it's it's very a bit of a joke, you know. So Bruce turns up at 
So he says to Bru he says to uh, Ta Taki, the, the, the Greek fella, he says, oh, can you do me a photo sometime later? Bruce is going to turn up on whatever the date was. Any chance you can meet him at the airport and uh, take him to the hotel? So he said, yeah, no problem. He's a martial art, you know, you've got the same sort of interest. So he tells me the story type. He says, he says I've got, I turned up at the airport. He said, Bruce, so I recognised him straight away. So how did you recognise him? He said, well, because obviously Bruce wasn't a household name or anything. Then. He said, I'm, I'm, I just recognised his face from the American martial art magazines. You know, the Black Belt magazine. Sure. So I recognised him. He said, and, uh, went up, so I shook his hand. And Bruce said to him, I hear you do karate. Who are you, who are you studying under? So Taki's gone, Suzuki, or wherever, wherever it was. And Bruce stood back and went, oh, yeah, he's no good. <laughs> but he's obviously, as a joke, you know. Right, right. <laughs> said, but we trained together a few times, you know. And uh, But going on, another story about Switzerland. When I, I was reading, um, uh, there was a Chinese magazine that Darren translated. Um, it's like a motor, motor, motor magazine about cars, of all things. Oh, okay. Uh, Actually, it's in the Mandarin Superstar. Do you know, I've got that. I've got it here somewhere. But anyway, the, the, the book, the magazine, sorry, they interviewed Bruce when he went to Hong Kong in April 1970 for the sheer fact that Bruce was known as Kato. And obviously, Kato drove the, the Black Beauty. Right. So it was a bit of an interest. You know, he's a, a local Hong Kong hero now. You know, he's Kato. He drives a famous Black Beauty because obviously that's being shown on the TV at the time. So they interviewed Bruce, you know, and um, <clears throat> Bruce, in the interview, when I was reading this article and it was translated, Bruce says, oh, yeah, when I was in Switzerland, I, 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 drive, a, I drive a Porsche, because Bruce had a Porsche at the time, didn't I? Right. And um, apparently a Porsche is better than a Ferrari to drive, uh, blah, 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 blah. Uh, when I was in Switzerland, a famous British racing driver agreed with me. I thought, a famous... So I'm going, it's got to be Sterling Moss. I think Sterling Moss, isn't it Sterling Moss? So I'm looking back, I'm sure it's Sterling Moss. Who's the other one? Sterling Moss, isn't it? I'm terrible. I write these books and I forget what I wrote. Sterling Moss, at the time, if it was Sterling Moss, he was friends with Polanski. So I've done all the research on this. And they made a movie called A Weekend to Remember. Okay. It was yes. about the Grand Prix, uh, whether it was the race or something. So it's got to be the same. So Bruce is at these parties. When you read Bruce's letters, when he's writing back to Linda and saying, oh, I'm with all these people. Right. So, my sort of thing, really, and yeah. blah, blah, blah. Well, what was me hanging out with all these annoying rich people and their problems? <laughs> yeah. So you've got that Tarki uh, Theodopoulos there. You've got Roman Polanski. They're all probably doing what they're doing. Yes. Get their heads and, and, well, and, and uh, whatever, anyway. So, uh, and, give <laughs> what so, yeah. And then, and then uh, uh, obviously, Sterling Moss is having a chat with Bruce. I'd have to go with Sterling Moss and talk to him, you know. And I did try, but um, oh, do you know what? I'm just gonna, I'm, I'm gonna have to look at this because if everyone's listening to this and I got the name wrong, I'm sure it's Sterling Moss. And the, the funny thing is, I tried to get in touch with him, but I just couldn't. I just couldn't, you know, because there's a good chance that, that he wouldn't even know who he, who he took, who he spoke to. We didn't even realise it was Bruce Lee at the time, you right. know, because. Even the known of Bruce Lee was being, especially being British, he wasn't as if he was in the States and he was watching uh, the Green Hornet. Right, right. You know, so yeah, uh, to me, it's, it's really interesting. I've got it here. So, give me two seconds. That's right, here we go. So, 
Oh, Jackie Stewart. Oh, okay. give me a slap. <laughs> give me do a know, slap. Do you Jackie, know Jackie Stewart? No, I did. I just, when, when he was saying, I was like, I think it might be too soon to be Jackie Stewart, though, but I guess it's about the right time. Jackie, yeah, it, Jackie Stewart. And Jackie Stewart's also Scottish, so he doesn't count. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I love all this stuff. It's so great. It's like yeah, Americans yeah. complain. It's like New Yorkers complaining about people from the South, or everyone else is just Americans, right? <laughs> Uh, yeah, I love these kind of like humanizing stories because you know, obviously when you are a big Bruce Lee fan, you hear all like the big stories of like what happened between Bruce Lee and this guy and so on. But I always like these smaller little stories about like Bruce talking to some guy or something. And uh, you reminded me uh, when you were talking about the YMCA and the potential judo thing um, that um, one of my good friends, Sifu Chan Chi Man, who was an early period student of Yip Man, he actually started learning Wing Chun before Bruce Lee, um, around a li- after Wong Sun Leung, but before Bruce Lee. And, yeah. uh, he, and so he knew Bruce Lee at that time and then didn't see him for all those years when Bruce Lee went back to the States. And then Bruce Lee comes back to Hong Kong. He starts making these movies. And Chan Chi Man worked uh, at the YMCA. Uh, right uh, next to the Peninsula Hotel. So that YMCA there in Tim is the headquarters of YMCA for Hong Kong. And yeah. Bruce used to go in there still at that time because his brother Peter would still practice uh, fencing and, occasionally, yeah. even in the 70s. And and Bruce would go there to you know watch his brother do some fencing. And then Bruce often spent time in the Peninsula Hotel, as you know. So it, it was all very close. And one day yeah. Bruce walks into the YMCA you know, at the height of his fame and Chan Chi Man is there and sees him and Bruce recognizes him because you know they had been classmates from, from an earlier time. And, and Chan Chi Man tells me this great story. He says, you know, Bruce was like so excited to talk to Chan Chi Man and they were chit-chatting about you know what had gone on in Wing Chun and blah, 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 blah. And at some point, Chan Chi Man says to Bruce, he says, uh, you know, Bruce, I, I know you're, you know, you're, you must be very busy. You, you have places to go. You just spent like almost an hour talking to me. I don't want to hold you up. You know, in that very kind of polite Chinese way. And Bruce said, yeah, I'm choreographing a fight scene with this American karate champion, meaning Chuck Norris, at the Peninsula Hotel. And, um, and Chan Chi Man goes, was he waiting there for you? And he says, it's okay, he can wait. <laughs> and I just thought, what a great story. Like, like Bruce would drop everything to have this uh, small chit-chat with an old classmate and let Chuck Norris kind of sit at the Peninsula Hotel and wait. I thought, these kind of stories, yeah. But that's the sort of thing that, when you see the Tarantino movie, you know, where the bullshit, where he's the brash, he hates the stunt man, he was, what a lot of bullshit, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And unnecessary, yeah. Totally, totally, totally. You know, I spoke and I've interviewed and I've had sort of different stunt men and, and obviously archive interviews, uh, material as well, where they talk about Bruce, and none of them are negative. None, I know everyone wants to be old Bruce Lee's best friend type of thing, but none of them are negative. And the, the, the common denominator in all of it is that Bruce was happier with a common man than, than these big big wig executives that he, if anything, he'd take the piss out of. Yeah, absolutely. There are a lot so, of stories. Uh, Bruce, yeah. you know, fighting for the stuntmen to get better food and better pay. And um, Cheung yeah. Win Hon, uh, who's someone, you, you talked about him in your book, the uh, Cheung Win Hon. Uh, he's one of the stuntmen uh, you mentioned in there. He was in Enter the Dragon. Yeah. He was also in Fist of Fury. I actually had dim yeah. sum with him a few years ago. I had, oh, really? di- I had dim sum oh, yeah. with him in... I think 2019. 
And it was wow. amazing because he's like, uh, I actually went there to go meet Siu Hao, who's from Shaw Brothers. He's the from Mad Monkey Kung Fu from from the Lao Ka, oh, Lao Ka Leung wing of things. And and so he's like in all those movies. And I went to go meet Siu Hao. And when I met Siu Hao, he he basically said, uh, "Is it okay if my my friend comes? He's he was a stuntman in some Bruce Lee movies, right?" And I was like, uh, "Yeah, yeah, it's like, yeah, right." It's like, yeah, it's totally fine. And then. No. Um, Jeremy Winhorn, um, who I was so happy to see, uh, had had a couple little segments in your in your book. He um, uh, he had he had later gone on to do films with Jackie Chan and Sammo Hung and everyone, right? He, I believe he was even in Police Story. I think he was even in the stunt with the double decker bus in Police Story. He's like part of that stunt, so he's oh, like a veteran veteran stunt guy. But when yeah. I met him, you know, despite the fact that he had done all these Jackie Chan films and everything like that, he was like he pulls up his phone. And then he pulls up this picture of him in the yellow uh, gi, on, and he's like, I was in Enter the Dragon. So it was kind of funny, like, even for him, having this huge body of work as a stuntman, he was like, the most proud of that. And then he talked about how Bruce Lee was always there for the stuntmen, how he would argue with Raymond Chow loudly in front of the other stuntmen when when they felt oh. that they were being mistreated, and... Uh, and which is why then when that whole Tarantino thing came out and it was like, and no, I mean, not just from sure. what I've read, but my own personal experiences talking to stuntmen who've worked with Bruce Lee. Bruce Lee absolutely loved the stuntmen. And, and it would be strange, especially for Bruce's first gig in the States. He just yeah. got a job working as an actor and he's going to be that guy on the set when he comes from a background of Chinese cinema where, where you know your place when you're, when you're on set. So it's just, it doesn't jibe with anything. He seemed to take it, I think, because of the stories on the set of The Green Hornet, which was, there was no malice in any of that. It's just Bruce hadn't really done action cinema, really. really. Right. He was too fast for the He was told to slow down, make actions bigger. And, you know, is it, in one of the fanzines, um, one of the ones that we haven't put out yet, there's, a, there's an interview that David Tavern did with uh, Van Williams from years ago. And he talks, it's quite an in-depth bit there about Bruce and the stuntman. And it puts it into total perspective. Right. You know, and uh, Bruce, obviously very strong-headed and knew, knew what he was doing martial art-wise. Um, but martial art on film is a different animal, obviously, to... to, to so, you know, um, and I suppose Bruce was learning that as he, as he went along as well, you know. Sure. So, uh, and, you, you know, you've got the famous story of Bruce on the set of uh, Walking the Spring Rain, you know, with a stunt man where he kicks him in the swimming pool. Right. Sterling said it told many years later. And to me, that was, do you know what? That's like a, without quoting Bruce again, it's like the art of fighting without fighting, isn't it? Because you've got this big, tough, burly stuntman that, Look at this little skinny Chinese man in their eyes, and they think, "Well, I've got to work with him." You know, is it? You know, you know, and all of a sudden Bruce goes, "Boom!" And they're like, "Oh, you know." So Bruce hasn't got to stand the total time, literally have a fight with him. He's shown him what he's capable of doing. He's like that little scorpion that you go, "That's only a little." Oh, he stung me. You know, right, right. It's there, isn't it? You know, and uh, <laughs> I, I had a similar thing years ago. We done a demonstration. Um, Quite a few, about twenty years ago now, we did. A, we, had, we, had, we owned a new gym, and um, it was a park, and we had the fairground people there. Uh, I was friends with a few of the fairground people, and they put a fair up there to sort of raise some money for the for the gym and whatever else. And we did a little demonstration in the in the tennis court, and you know you, you get the kicking shield, you do the jumping side kick, and the, you know the Bruce Lee type stuff, you know. 
and uh, there was a group of them, a group of the, the fairground workers standing there, and they're all pretty roughy toughies. And you, you think, well, yeah, it doesn't matter what martial art you do, it doesn't mean, you know, you can fight everyone, does it? But you look at them, you think, and you could hear them bickering and sort of like giving a bit of, <laughs> you know. So I did the Bruce Lee thing. I said, I went, I said, well, I'm going to demonstrate a, a jumping sidekick. I said, um, I need a volunteer. And I, lit, I went right over to him. I went, you'll do. And he went, uh, 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 and the, the biggest, toughest one of all of them. And he's like, mm, you know. And he walks over. I, got, I said, well, hold the shield like this, you know. And uh, I didn't quite tell him how to hold it correctly without hurting him, mind you. And, and I went, bosh, I've done probably the best sidekick I've ever done in my life. Knocked him, him flying. He fell on the, on, the, on the gravel. And then I put me active. Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so okay, okay. You know, and uh, he stood up and uh, as... Sterling Silicon said when Bruce kicked those stumping in the swimming pool, they came up a Christian. <laughs> he had uh, a religious like, experience. <laughs> yeah, I think that was the question he used. And so, you know, it's like the art of fighting. With, I had a similar sort of thing. In, I went to Barbados years ago and I had a, a similar thing on the beach there. And uh, there was a group of, actually they weren't from, I think it was from Miami or something. There was like a gang of them there. And they'd said something to my sister, a bit rude. And I was, I was a bit younger and I was a bit annoyed. And I'm, I just went, I walked over to him and I said the same thing. I, I'm not, I'm not a, a troublemaker or a, I don't go around street fighting or anything, but right. I, thought, I was so annoyed. So I went and sat in the middle of them. They looked at me like this. I went, I said, oh, I said, yeah, what, what sort of things you do around here? Then? Went, oh, we could do anything, man. You know? I said, oh, do you do a bit of kickboxing? I went, oh, yeah, we could do kickboxing. Well, my sister had gone back to the apartment and told my dad, oh, I think he's going to have a fight. You know, So my dad's come up to the beach. So I thought, well, I've got to do something. I thought, you know, if I have a fight, I'm probably going to get my head kicked in here. You know, I'm going to get outnumbered here. You know, and um, so my dad's come up and he went, he went, show him a kick. A bit more subtle back then, you know. The kicks were pretty good, not so good now, but back then. And he held a flip flop up on the beach, and I just done a spinning hook kick, <clears throat> like that, you know. Probably the, once again, one of the best ones I've done in my life. Luckily, <laughs> it, it hit the flip flop, bing, knocked it across the beach, hit someone on the back of the head, literally. And, uh, sorry, and, uh, I thought that sound effect was part of your story. It actually fit perfectly. <laughs> like, yeah. Hit him in the back of the head. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah. And after that, they was like, Whoa, you know, like, you know. right. And they wanted me, wanted me to be best buddy, you know? And, uh, but the truth of the matter was, if I had gone and picked a fight, they probably would have kicked the shit out of me. Yeah, these situations can always turn out differently depending on, you know, how, how we manage them, I suppose. I think that's what martial art teaches, doesn't it? It teaches that you, it doesn't make you the best fighter in the world. There's always someone, as my dad used to say to me, there's always someone better. Yeah. The American tough someone is, there's always someone better. Or if someone's tougher in the front of my car, you know, they're tough. Right. <laughs> you know, so to me, martial arts is great. We all do martial art in one shape or form, and it's all it's knowledge is power and so forth. But yeah, the whole Bruce Lee, when you look at the way when he did things like that, you can understand why he did things like that because you know he was a realist, he knew that he couldn't fight the world, sure. But knowing that he could go, you know, I'm gonna do some damage if I catch you, you know, and right. uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, now there's a story, um, that's been one of my pet projects, like, like you, I'm also. A bit of a detective and I look at photos and I try to place exactly where they were and how does this guy know this guy and all the connections and 
And one of the big stories that had gone around for quite a bit was this this challenger, this guy who had challenged Bruce Lee named Lao Daichun, who by all accounts was some kind of third tier Hong Kong actor. I mean, if you go to his IMDB, I think he had a whopping five credits and only one of those credits, his character actually had a name instead of like a third guy in the back. You know, it, so even for Hong Kong standards, the guy was a, a, a Mr. Nobody, as they say in Cantonese, a kelefe, which means a, an extra. <laughs> and uh, so uh, this guy was making a name, you know, or trying to make a name for himself by challenging Bruce Lee. And, you know, as, as Bruce Lee fan, you hear all these stories all the time. Oh, I heard Bruce Lee fought this guy, uh, Bruce Lee, or this guy beat up Bruce Lee, or Bruce Lee beat up this guy. And after a while, you almost... You almost just kind of don't listen because the, most of that stuff isn't true. But it wasn't until I heard the Dan Lee phone conversation that Bruce had um, when uh, yeah, yeah, student Dan Lee, and then Bruce mentioned, you know, all these bullshit artists like Lao Tai Chun. And then I heard him say Lao Tai Chun by name, and I was like, wait, the Lao Tai Chun thing was real. And then I did, you know, what what your what Darren does. I, I went on the Chinese newspapers. I typed in Lao Tai Chun, and I looked at the archives for articles at the time. And lo and behold, there were a bunch of newspaper articles where this guy was calling out Bruce Lee, saying his Western boxing could defeat Bruce Lee's Jeet Kune Do and so on and so forth. And you actually mention it um, in in your book uh, that, you know, Bruce was on the set. I think it was that same makeup artist uh, from Fist of Fury who said, you know, one day Bruce was kind of upset uh, because this guy is obviously trying to make a name for himself by challenging Bruce. But... The guy is way beneath Bruce. I mean, for Bruce to even answer this guy is to give the guy the publicity that he wants to begin with. But you also don't want to look like you're not answering a challenge. And Bruce wanted to have a private match at Golden Harvest. And then there's all, all these stories as to whether they actually fought or not. Uh, I have That's a whole episode in and of itself. Um, I was wondering if you had heard anything else about that story. And then also there was some story. If you don't know much about that or you, you haven't heard anything, there's another story about Bob Baker on the set, I think, of Fist of Fury, yeah, take it up yeah. a challenge. Maybe you could tell tell the audience that story. That, that was a funny one. Uh, um, <laughs> me and my friend, uh, you know, Greg Rhodes, Greg, I mean, he, he's he's like a, like a Bruce Lee anorak like myself, and uh, we always laugh about that. And the story goes where um, this fellow's got the challenge Bruce, and Bruce has basically said, well, in Chinese, you know, before you fight me, you fight, if you can beat my top student. Yes. Bob Baker's standing there like, not speaking Chinese, thinking, what's... Because the fella kept back, back, talking to Bruce and looking at Bob Baker, looking at, you know. This fella lunges at Bob, I uh, keep saying Bob, well, Bob Baker, and right. uh, he's gone bang, put him on his backside, you know, and, uh, and the, Bruce is supposed to turn around and gone. He was a bit too slow there or something, or he was a bit too slow. <laughs> you know, and, uh, and obviously he's just like a tongue-in-cheek, you know, and uh, and the fella's supposed to come up to him afterwards and said, oh, thank you for hitting me, you know, so, you know, it was a pleasure to be beat by you, you know, like the old, like the old samurai movies, it's been a pleasure to be killed by you, you know. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, but you have you didn't hear anything else about that whole Lao Tai Chu thing? But, but... Uh, the, the only thing is, I mean, which I'm going to try and cover, in front of me and Darren was talking about this a while ago, supposedly, I mean, you see the letter where he apolog- he's basically apologising to Bruce, isn't he? One of those letters saying right. men like that, blah blah, or what's that effect? Now they're supposed to have had a little little spa match uh, in sort of mid to late '72. I think it's more mid '72. I have to get the dates on that. It, like, like behind closed doors, and Bruce just gave him a bit of a slap, 
Yeah, so I, I've heard I've heard two two accounts. So there, there there's one that um, uh, a a famous police detective by the name of Tang Sang. Tang Sang was one of Yip Man's students, and Tang Sang was one of the 1970s corrupt police detectives who was also a millionaire and had like two mansions in Hong Kong. Uh, wow. And uh, he had a boxing ring in his backyard, which he had built to help uh, train some Wing Chun fighters for full contact competition. And suppose so there's one story that because Tang Sang was a police officer, he arranged it at his place so no one would get in trouble. And, and Bruce took care of Lao Tai Chun with one kick or one movement or something like that. And then there's yeah. another story, Lam Jing Ying, the, the, the famous actor and, and stuntman. Yeah. Yeah. I actually have a, heard a recording of him in Cantonese. Uh, where he said that um, they were at an event uh, at a uh, Chinese restaurant. And this is in Lam Ying's own voice. And this is a banquet, some kind of maybe some celebration for Golden Harvest or whatever. Lao Tai Chun was there. And uh, Bruce basically, uh, you know, kind of went up to him and said, well, now you're here and I'm here. So, you know, let's let's settle this. And then they basically went out into the hallway. And um, Lam Ying said something very interesting in um, in Cantonese. Um, he said that um, Bruce basically dispatched him in, in, you know, did away with him in one movement or whatever. But he said something that, uh, and apparently Bruce, so there's a story that Bruce had kicked him, another story that Bruce had punched him. But the, yeah. the, the, what Lam Ching Ying said is that um, Lao Tai Jun was staring at Bruce's legs um, because he was so worried about getting kicked that he didn't see the hand coming. And then he said oh. that Bruce Lee had a comment after that. And he said, when I saw him staring at my legs, that's when I knew he knows nothing about martial arts. <laughs> and I, I just thought that was such a great line. And, and I, I play that recording every now and again. Lam Ching Ying was such a soft-spoken fellow, not, not one really prone to exaggeration. And, and to hear that story come from him, it would seem that that probably might be the most credible of all the accounts. Yeah, I believe that. I, yeah. believe that. I think Bruce was pretty fiery, wasn't he? Huh? Yes. I think he probably brood on things like that you know yeah so he's got publicly come across like no no i'm you know i'm a professional i don't get involved in that we're underneath he's probably going oh, <laughs> exactly <laughs> so, exactly imagine, yeah, so, yeah I, 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 that's probably the truth right probably probably um True. so we're hey we're already at the one hour mark before we get out of here um are there any Bruce Lee stories that you're particularly fond of? Something short, like we've been, a big theme about today's uh, chat was kind of these humanizing Bruce Lee stories, these, these stories that kind of show him just basically as a mensch. Is there, is there a story that you heard from a stuntman or someone on the set or someone who worked with him or trained with him that, you know, something you might want to uh, leave us with or even just something interesting? I think uh, in recent times, you know, like I mentioned earlier about the, the Thai stuntman, Yes. How horrible. And now we're talking about someone that is totally unassociated with Bruce Lee as far as the fan scene or trying to make any money out of anything. And he was a star in his own right anyway in Thailand, you know. And um, I'll give you a brief a brief uh, background of uh, what happens. I've been going to Pat Chong on and off probably over the last 20 years, you know, and we stayed there a few times and you know, you're there and you're sort of in Marvel a little bit because you you go to the, you know, the we call the boss's house and it hasn't really changed. I've, heard, I've heard it's exactly the same from the outside, yeah. Yeah, it's like being on a film set. You're, like, you're there, you think, this is weird, you know. And there's something you've been looking at in posters and books since you was a kid. Now you're standing in the middle of it, you know. 
And uh, so, you know, I've been going to Pak Chong and seeing the different locations. And, and a few years back, uh, my wife said to me, she said, oh, there's a, there's a, there was a famous who actually passed away a few years, a year or two ago, um, uh, uh, Sarah Pong Chattery, or Chattery Sarah Pong. He was a famous Thai film star, probably one of the biggest, actually. Well, he, he had uh, a temple just outside of Pak Chong, um, when I say temple, it was like three or four temples, this beautiful landscape grounds of a restaurant. And people used to go there, used to not Westerners, but Thai people would go there because obviously he's famous. But he used to flock there in their hundreds. And he, when he wasn't filming, wasn't working, he'd be on the microphone in one of the temples talking to the crowd and saying prayers, a very devout Buddhist, you know. Mm. And um, she said, Oh, and I, I, when I was doing the Mandarin Superstar, I thought, I've got to find out who these stuntmen were. You know, I mean, I've never ever in all my years mentioned much about, apart from, you know, the girl who plays a prostitute, Meredith. You know, you don't really hear anything about the stuntmen at all. Right. And I thought, there's got to be somebody. There's got to be someone that the Thai people got to know who these are. And I've asked in the past, and different Thai people, like her father at the time, he didn't recognise them. Or he might have gone, well, I know his face, you know. And so anyway, so... Nuan, my wife, she said to me, let's go to to see uh, Sarah Paul. I said, well, I said, there's no chance we're going to get a chance. I said, he said, no, he's he's there. Maybe he'd be there when we go there. We might get a chance to talk to him. So in preparation, like in the old days, you'd have all, all photographs printed out in you know, an A4 folder or something of everyone. But I just had them all on my phone. So we turned up at his temple, and, and luckily he was there, and he was giving a talk at the front of it. And I have my camera and I'm filming like the scenery and whatever. And I was the only Westerner there. So he's on the microphone, he's dead, dead, dead entire, like, and he's looking around talking to people. And he, he must have spotted me because he's giving it like a double take. He's gone like that, literally like that, you know. Like, he's, I stuck out like a sore thumb, I suppose, really. You know, not, not for me good looks, I don't think, just because <laughs> I, I was a Westerner. And um, so he gradually worked away to the front and because people were having their autographs done with him and photographs done with him, you know. And we got to the front and we got talking to him and uh, he asked where he was from, where I was from and, you know, I told him and that and I said, um, so I'm writing a book on Bruce Lee. Well, I'll take your chances in there, you know. Went, oh, yeah, Bruce Lee. I said, um, I wonder if you could help me. I said, um, could you put some names to these faces? So he said, show me. So literally I've got my phone there and I've, I've got scrolling for everything. Every photograph of every stuntman, he knew the name who it was. Wow. He's going, that's so and so. So if you look at the man in the superstar, all the names were in there because of him. And he's going, yeah, that. I go, yeah, he passed away. Yeah, that's so and so and so. Yeah, he's dead. He passed. They'd all freaking died. They was all dead. You know, and I thought, oh. I was hoping he was going to say, oh, yeah, he lives up the corner there, right. next to the right. next to the 7 Eleven or something. But uh, he did, they were all dead. And um, then he went, oh, he said, um, actually, a good friend of mine, he said, he, he always says about when he worked with Bruce Lee, and I thought, here we go. Here we go. I've heard this so many times now, you know, my uncle knew Bruce Lee type of story. <laughs> right. And he went, um, Pal, Pal Porapak, as soon as he said his name, Pal Porapak, my wife recognised the name. Well, Pal was a, a star in his own right, like nowadays or then been in many movies and always played the ruffian and the you know the, the, the bug 
So he said, oh, he said, oh give, give me your phone number. So we had a Thai phone. So my wife gave him the number. So I'll give him a call. I'll get him to give you a call. So we're going back to Bangkok in a couple of days' time. So okay. He said, oh, maybe we can, um, I'll get him to give you a call and you can meet him. And I'm thinking, this ain't going to happen, you know. So but we went back to Bangkok and we, a couple of days go by, phone rings. My we we wife answered the phone. She's talking in Thai. Car, car. I see she looks a little, I wouldn't say embarrassed, but a little bit in awe, you know what I mean? Like, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, it's like it's like Tom Cruise phoning you up and you go, hello, Tom. You know. <laughs> I, I had that talk- experience with David Carradine once on the phone, but oh, yeah. it was oh, very odd. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So she's on the back of the phone, oh, you know, so his phone, didn't expect him to actually phone. And he said, oh, where are you? We told him what hotel he was in. He said, oh, I can meet you. In a, in a, uh, he was in um, Rayong, which is about, I think about two or three hour drive. He said, oh, I'll come and meet you in the shopping centre. So we, Anyway, we arranged to meet him that, that afternoon, or next afternoon, I think it was. And um, didn't speak a word of English, really, or hardly anything. And I said, oh, can I interview you for, the, for my book I'm doing? So he said, yeah, he said, and super nice, nice guy, super nice guy. And he came back to our hotel. I said, oh, can I film this? I said, you know, because obviously uh, I asked my wife to translate some talking. Can you ask me if we can film this? Because, you know, I'm going to forget half of it. I'm not right. careful. I've done half exam. So I set me try, but I've got quite a good camera and I set it all up and that. And um, well, the lighting wasn't ideal, but it was, it was pretty good still. And we interviewed him. And I was interviewing for a good hour or so. And But it was like a three-way thing where I had to ask her a question. She said it to him entire. He said it back to her and, the, and she said anything. So sure. it was a bit blah, blah, blah. You know? And I asked him, every, asked him everything. And some of the stories he told me, Going on to your on, onto your question here, and I've gone off, gone on a bit here, but this is what leads up to it. One of the things he said, uh, yeah, when he first met, so when I first met Bruce, he said uh, we was in the same hotel. That was his first job working in the film because his uncle was actually a stuntman. His uncle get, got him the job. He was a tie boxer before that, mm-hmm. so I think he was the one that they talk about Bruce training with a tie boxer out there. So. Uh, he said Bruce would knock on the door in the morning, I know, and he sort of knock, 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 knock. Answer, it's like seven o'clock in the morning. So you, you, me, me, jogging, 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 jogging to set, to set. He says I'd go jogging with him every morning, like, you know, to set. And someone have a stunt and a tag along, you know. And I'd say to him like, uh, did he run fast? He, oh. You couldn't keep up with him, you know. I've actually done that jog myself. It's about two, two, two or three kilometre jog, you know, two mile run. And uh, that was one of the funny stories. But one of the, the funniest stories he said, which is on the, I'll send you the Blu-ray. The funniest story was, he said that Bruce um, went to show the power of a sidekick. He said, okay, so he said, hold this. Yeah, maybe he had his kicking shield with him or something. So he had this big shield. He said, and he asked me to hold this shield. He said, he said no, no, get two or three of your friends to, to support me. He says, I've got these, and they're quite, some of the stuff, you look in the film, they're quite, some of them, you know. So they've all stood behind them, all holding them. There's about three or four of them, I think it was. And Bruce is standing there. He said, I'm, he said, I'm standing, I'm going, oh, text, I'm waiting for him to do his kick. And all like this. He said, Bruce is going, he said, he's giving it all this, you know, the Bruce Lee style. He said, I'm, I think to, he said, I'm thinking to myself, Hurry up, hurry up. My arm's starting to hurt me. I'm like, you know. All of a sudden, he said, I went, just for a second, Bruce went, and kicked me like, you know, flying. He said, we went, all four of us went flying back. 
So what Bruce did, he said, he, he waited for me to relax, then kick me. So he knew I was tensing, but he's going to relax. As soon as he relaxes, bang, he kicked me. <laughs> That's okay. great. But he said, the lesson was, he said, he came over to me and said, oh, you hurt? I went, no, we're fine. He said, do you know why? Because you was relaxed. He said, the trouble is on these film sets, what I've noticed with you stuntmen, you're all, argh, argh, and you're going to get hurt. So you've right. got to go with a punch. Got to go with a punch. Right. And he demonstrated, he said, that was his lesson, that was his way of telling us that calm down a bit on set, Go with the flow. Go with the punch. I was mean, you going to get hurt. Right. So that was one of the best stories that he told us. Really, the Bruce taught the Thai stuntman how to. How go to with sort it. Of, uh, That's incredible. Awesome. Yeah, go with it. Yeah, and that, that, was, that was interesting. You know, but I mean, he told many stories. You know, and uh, I said, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll send you a box set. Awesome. But it was, it was, it was interesting. It was interesting. Cool. But there's stories I've heard over the years. But yeah, that's I'm sure. I'm sure. Times, but going through the, yeah, going through the. Both the recent two books, The Mandarin and Intercepting Fist, there's loads of anecdotes and stories and bits and bobs in there that you can talk about for years, I suppose, really. Awesome. Hey, well, thank you so much. <laughs> this was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed this. I hope we'll do it again sometime. Do you have another any other projects coming up? So you're working on expanding the Way of the Dragon book? Is that the next thing? Did I did I get that correct? Yeah, yeah we're going to do that. It's probably going to just be titled Bruce Lee Dragon. Incredible. Incredible. Wow, looking forward to that. Me and Darren was trying to think of a name, and we're just going for these different, different names and whatever. But this this will probably cover up to the Game of Death as well because you can do a separate Game of Death photo book as people have done. We've done we done one a little while ago actually, a lay, lay flat book, which is okay for the like, as, as far as eye candy goes. You know, right. at something, and you could do a book I suppose on the philosophy behind the connection with Game of Death and even Silent Fruit, uh, Southern Fist, Northern Leg. Right. Green bamboo, all these things—they all got slight. Bruce took a bit of that and bit of that, and he used that for that, and they all mix and match really. Sure. And part of, part of Game of Death was that as well. So, but what we're going to cover is, I think, we're going to go up to the preliminary film of the Game of Death and what he did, you know. And uh, but I think it's going to be a year, maybe two years, till that's that's done. Cool. Uh, I've, done, I've done I've done about a quarter of it already, but I've, I've just with this fanzine we're doing. You've not received it yet. You've not picked it up yet. I haven't gotten it yet. Oh, right. Uh, <laughs> that's got that story, actually. The one, you know, you talk about the Chuck Norris one you told me about. That's, that's, that's good. Excellent, excellent. Uh, yeah, that's that's, uh, that's what I've been concentrating on at the moment. Getting my head with that. I've got about four or five issues I've actually completed already. So that's... Being a bi-monthly magazine, we've got to try and... Sure. You know, I've got to, yeah, you know, it's always the uh, content creation. That's a lot of work, yeah. Oh, uh, cool. Yeah, so that, well, thank you so much. This was absolutely fantastic. I look forward to doing this again. And uh, thank you so much for taking the time. No, thank you for inviting me. It's a pleasure and uh, it's an honor. I mean, it really mean that. You know, thank you. You're cool. the best one out there, the best <laughs> podcast. Mate, best. Thank you. I appreciate it. All right, everyone. Well, I hope you enjoyed that episode of the Kung Fu Genius. Don't forget to subscribe to the Kung Fu Genius, like this episode, hit that bell for notifications. And if you have any questions or ideas, people you want me to interview in future episodes, go ahead and write those in the comments below. And I'll see you guys next time. Word is I'm a Kung Fu Genius. Technique speaks for me, not lineage. Forget Jet Li, cause I'm the one. Many call me Sifu, but to you I'm Seagung. And I produce masters. You surpass us. Your Kung Fu stiffer than corpse and caskets. City Wing Chung is the house I built. Violate the gate and your blood gets spilt. Alex Richter, always the victor. All right, everyone. Well, I hope you enjoyed that episode of the Kung Fu Genius. As always, don't forget to like the Kung Fu Genius. Subscribe to the f*** the f*** the genius. All right, okay. <laughs> I'm not subscribing to that. Okay, all right. <laughs> I'm not subscribing.